Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, your flight to Bristol has been delayed once again. But for your entertainment purposes, please listen to the Baggage Claim Monday edition of the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. The white zone is for immediate unloading and loading of passengers only. No parking in the white zone. Thank you. right this is a baggage claim podcast for monday july 3rd 2023 and today will be better than yesterday i'm buster only <laughs> almost as if on cue we get the uh, the call from a gate re- nearby uh, i'm at the minneapolis airport uh waiting for my re- uh, return flight to bozeman montana after doing sunday night baseball last night and working back in the bristol area taylor schwink from the schwink studio sarah abbott from her place how are you guys doing Doing well, Buster. Happy 3rd of July here. We're, we're straddling that weird in-between time where some people are working, some aren't. So hopefully we can provide a little bit of entertainment for those uh, looking for some. Yeah, and if we don't do a good job with it today, I can tell you, you're going to be entertained in the days ahead because this home run derby field that's shaping up for Monday looks like a monster. And I'm really fired up about it. Gonna, we're going to be talking with Sarah Langs. We're going to be talking about it with Tim Kirchin. Uh, and it was fun over the weekend to hear the all-star team rounded out. Uh, the Dodgers' Clayton Kershaw was picked for his 10th all-star game. The uh, 23 all-star game in Seattle will feature 42 first- or second-time selections, including 26 players making their all-star debuts. Kershaw is making his 10th all-star appearance, second to only Mike Trout, who's going to be in his 11th game. So all kinds of young stars going in there. And how about... Taylor, your Orioles getting four players. I know it's it's a nice little pick me up uh, at this time because they haven't been looking too great on the field, my man. It's been a it's been a rough couple series, but uh, you know, nice that they've been rewarded for uh, you know a good first half of the year. Yeah, and it, it's always fun. I love watching the videos of the players being told that they're all stars. There was a cool one coming out of the Orioles clubhouse from yesterday. A team without many all stars. The Kansas City Royals faced the Dodgers over the weekend. And they kind of beat him up. Nicky Lopez got a big hit in the bottom of the fourth. 0-2 on Nicky Lopez. And the pitch. Isbell is running, and it's a ground ball base hit into right field. So Water scores the go-ahead run. Isbell to third. The throw goes to second base, and Isbell will round the bag and score. That from 6-10 KCSP, the Royals win 9-1 on Sunday after hammering Julio Urias on Saturday and his return to the rotation. Taylor, do we have sound of Dave Roberts post game? Because reading those quotes, he sounded really angry. I don't know the road record. Um, I, what I can speak to is uh, this series, um, which is more fresh to me. Um, those guys uh, just outplayed us. Um, it's a different brand of baseball as far as, you know, putting the ball in play, um, hitting behind run- runners, stealing bases. Uh, they were excellent in, in situational hitting. And so, um, to be quite honest, we couldn't keep up. And um, that's how they beat us. Uh, this That's how they won the series. Yeah. What he was talking about, of course, was the Royals putting the ball in play. The Dodgers, he probably saw a team that's made the playoffs a whole bunch of the last 10 years and were flat in a series that they probably should have won. The Astros took a stand on Sunday against the Rangers. Chas McCormick getting a big hit. 
And McCormick hits it in the air to right, going back on it, Garcia, still going back at the wall, it's off the wall, Abreu scores, Dubon scores, jokes around third, he scores, on his way to third goes McCormick, it's a bases clearing triple for Chaz McCormick, and the Astros go up 4-1. to one. That of course was the unmistakable voice of Robert Ford, KBME, 790 AM, the Astros win the game. Five to three, but a sign of how serious Texas is in trying to hold off other teams in the American League West. Over the weekend, they traded for closer Roldis Chapman in a deal with the Kansas City Royals. They sent a couple of minor leaguers back to Kansas City. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN. Get great deals on the hottest tickets. Experience it live. Well, it's a hot ticket in Cincinnati. The Reds played the Padres over the weekend. Good series for Cincinnati. On Sunday, San Diego was down 2-1. to Top of the eighth inning. Fernando Tatis Jr. did this. 1-1 pitch hit in the air to deep left field. Fernando drops the bat. This one gonna go. Almost midway up the second deck in left. And the Padres hit back-to-back home runs for the second consecutive game. This time it ties it. We're 2-2 in the eighth. That from 97.3, the fan. 2-2, bottom of the eighth inning, and this is what happened. Here's the pitch to Stevenson. He swings, high drive, deep right field. Back goes Tatis at the wall. Gone! Just inside the right field foul pole. Tyler Stevenson, a pinch hit, two-run home run, and the Reds are back on top. And they would go on to win 4-3. That sound from 700 WLW. The Angels, the Diamondbacks, in the bottom of the eighth inning, Shohei Otani did it again. Here's the next pitch. Shohei hits one a mile deep out there into right field. Boy, that went right through the catwalk there that the fans enter and exit down the right side. They're running down there to try and retrieve that baseball. That's another big-time blast, and here on this Sunday, once again, it's showtime. That was Terry Smith, Angels Radio, AMA 30. You could hear how amazed he was because on Saturday, this is what Otani did. Otani entered the game tonight hitting 309, the fourth highest batting average in the American League, and he swings and drills one deep out into right field. This is a moonshot out there, and it's way out of here. No doubt about that one. Shohei Otani with his major league leading 30th home run of the season. Angels on the board, trail at 5-1. Yeah. Taylor, could you play that again? And listen this time for the sound of the crowd reacting to the trajectory of the ball off the bat. American League, and he swings and drills one deep out into <laughs> right field. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, every everyone knew it's it's a weird thing. Like I, it just sounds different when it's coming off of his bat. I don't know what it is. Every ballpark, it it just sounds a little bit different. Well, and that makes sense because he's a unicorn, as Eduardo Perez said last week. Uh, Thirty-one home runs with a week to go before the All Star break, and he made the All Star team, of course, as a hitter and as a pitcher. Mariners, the Rays, the Mariners trying to gain some traction. And this helped in the bottom of the seventh. Adam comes set, right on right. Here comes the pitch. It hits him! He hits Caballero with the first pitch! 
and Caballero wearing the bullseye gives the Mariners a 7-6 lead in the bottom of the seventh inning. Absolutely incredible. Who saw that coming? Down from Seattle Sports, 7-10 a.m. The Mariners win that game 7-6. Nobody can beat the Atlanta Braves, who just seem to be bashing everybody over the head. It was two-all, bottom of the fifth inning. They're facing the Marlins on Sunday, and this happened. Alcantara delivers. Swing and a drive to right field. That's got a chance to get out of here. Soler at the wall. It's gone. Home run, Ozzie. Braves lead 4-2. to two. Yeah, that was the great Joe Simpson on 680, the fan. They win 6-3 to three on Saturday. <laughs> he scored six first-inning runs and just blew out the Marlins just every day. This is a team that's hitting over 300 since the beginning of June. The Mets and the Giants, an important weekend for the Mets. They lost the first game of the series, but they came back and won on Saturday. Justin Verlander pitched pretty well. And then on Sunday, Tommy Pham helped to tack onto their lead. And the pitch. Swing and a little flare out of the shallow right field. And coming on is Matos. And then it gets past him as it lands and skips by him. Racing around and coming in to score is Nimmo. And now it's Pham hung up for a second. He scampers back in into second base. That was a great book, Shami, of course, on ESPN Radio. But given how the Mets season's going, with their bullpen being such an issue this year, you could hear the tension in the fans in the top of the seventh inning when this happened. The 2-2. Swing and a high fly ball. That's well struck. Left field going back is fam, turning and looking, and it's gone. And Sable off the bench with a pinch hit homer, his eighth home run of the season. And the Giants get two back. It's now 5-3. Yeah, Mets fans with PTSD this year with that bullpen. But you know what? In the bottom of the eighth inning, Pete Alonso gave room for everybody to take a deep breath in City Field. Next pitch, hammered. Left field on its way. Back and gone. And Pete Alonso with the exclamation point here as Alonso with home run number 25. And the Mets now lead it 8-4. to four. And they take their first series in about a month. It was appropriate that Alonso went deep because early in the game, top of the second inning, he went on a headset talking with Carl Ravitch, Eduardo Perez, David Cohn on Sunday Night Baseball, and this is what he told him. Yeah, so I will be participating in the uh, 2023 Home Run Derby. Yeah, high five up here, Pete. Yeah, Oh, yeah. Eduardo Perez giving high fives. Oh, yes. Yeah, you can count me in, guys. Oh, man, that brought goosebumps right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm super stoked to do it. I mean, it's a super talented field, and um, I mean, it's going to be great competition. I think this one's going to be one to remember. A super talented field. Again, I'll be talking about that with Tim Kirchin coming up. Taylor, what else you got? Buster, I feel like the, the Mets fans gasping as an opponent hits a home run. That's like the reverse Shohei Otani reaction. It was like an, <laughs> it was like an inhale, like a, <gasps> rather than oh, a, no. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that, that was noteworthy. Uh, Sarah is going to jump off ship of our recording here to record the Dominique Foxworth show. What are you guys talking about over there on July 3rd? That's a good question. I think we're going to be covering a lot of the NBA trades. And then Charlie is a big tennis fan. So we got some Wimbledon stuff maybe on the horizon, too. Ooh. So check that out. Love it. You can listen to that where you're listening to this podcast and on YouTube as well. 
Here's the sound of All-Stars being informed with their selection in the Rays Clubhouse. Nice series, guys. We're heading to Seattle. Fortunately for us, we got at least two more guys that are going to be going to Seattle next week. Randy Arozarena and Yandy Diaz. Interestingly, one of the names not called in that, Wander Franco, who might be the the biggest omission, I think, uh, in the All-Star selection process this year. Here's what it sounded like in the Diamondbacks clubhouse. We have two players. We have um, our starting pitcher for today, Zach Gallon. Yeah! Bring it together today. Keep it focused. You got us, all right? <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, and then a second player um, is Lourdes Gurriel. Yeah. Yeah. You want to say it? You want a speech? Speech! Speech! speech. Thank you, my teammates. Here's Lourdes Gurriel of the Arizona Diamondbacks calling his wife with the news. Here's what it sounded like in the Marlins clubhouse. Quick announcement, uh, Jorge Soler hit a home run in his first major league at bat. AL, AL home run leader in 2019, World Series MVP in 2021, two-time World Series champion in 16 and 21, and now first-time All-Star. Estoy, estoy un poco nervioso y, y muy contento. Eh, gracias por la oportunidad esa que me dieron. Contento con el equipo que hemos jugado una primera mitad increíble y espero que sigamos jugando la segunda mitad mejor. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, 
Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code BASEBALL. That's code BASEBALL. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. That's VividSeats.com today, code BASEBALL. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Seam heads rejoice. This is Timmy time. Baseball is the greatest game. With Tim Kirkshen. It never disappoints you. On Baseball Tonight. Tim Kirkshen covers baseball for ESPN. And Tim, I, I had the pleasure of getting to see you on Saturday, getting to see you on Sunday. Today, you are in Cleveland. Yeah, I took a flight from LaGuardia. Boy, boy have they redone the LaGuardia Airport. I just didn't see it in its entirety until this weekend really good job there yes i'm in cleveland i used to come here all the time when i covered the orioles and the rangers good to be back i'm overlooking the lake right now and it's great and they have the tim kirchin suite in preparing you for the broadcast you have coming up what uh what are you doing uh i've got the braves and the guardians tomorrow night colby allard against uh shane bieber so i'm really looking forward to that can't wait to see the braves who hit like five home runs every game. And the Guardians are, last I looked, tied for first place. It's an amazing AL Central, and the uh, Braves are really, really good. So when you're there this week, if you can, can you dig around and see what the feeling is about maybe trading Shane Bieber in kind of one of those deadline situations where they trade Bieber while at the same time trying to, trying to compete in a really weak American League Central. Right. And again, we've been over this, Buster. This is what makes the trade deadline so complicated this year is why would they trade Shane Bieber? Because he's their best pitcher and they have a chance to make the playoffs. And yet, if they're not going to be able to sign him long term and they can get a haul for him right now, maybe they should trade him. So it's one of the there's so many of those scenarios out there. And that's why I'm thoroughly confused as to what's going to happen at the trade deadline, because there's so many teams like the Guardians who are in it and you can't trade your best people when you're in it. But sometimes that's the smartest thing to do is to trade your best people. It's really yeah. weird. And a couple of the teams looking for starting pitchers, the Dodgers, the Texas Rangers, for example. We know the Rangers are going to be all in. We saw the deal with the Rollis Chapman the other day. All right. Uh, so yesterday we find out who, who's uh, the reserves on the all-star teams. Give me the name of someone who made an all-star team that you were really excited about. Well, I love – I love the first time All-Stars. So Brent Rooker, for instance, has really, really had a difficult way in his career. And he's doing really well with the A's. And he made the All-Star team. And I love that. Uh, that that's always my favorite part about the All-Star game are the first-time guys who walk into that room for the first time. And, you know, and there's Mike Trout welcoming them at the door. Johnny Bench told me, his first all-star game, Willie Mays, Willie Mays came up to Johnny Bench, who's like 20 years old at the time, whispers in his ear, you should be starting in the all-star game. And that was all the affirmation that Johnny Bench needed. Like, first off, what am I doing in this room with all these NL stars? But the greatest player he'd ever seen whispers in his ear, you shouldn't just be here. You should be starting in the all-star game. That Those are always my favorite stories of guys who make it for the first time. Yeah, I thought this was pretty cool yesterday. This was Ozzie Albies 
talking about Ron Washington uh, in the Braves clubhouse when they got word that turns out all four Braves infielders, Matt Olson, Ozzy Albies, Orlando Arcia, who's starting, Austin Riley, they're all all-stars. Give a listen to Ozzy. It's very, very special. You know, like you said, the entire infield, uh, Wash was out there, he said he's probably the most emotional day of his career because all of his infielders went to the all-star game. So it's very special for our team. And to have eight guys, I mean, that's, that says a lot. We've been playing hard every single day. Yeah, I heard that, Tim, and he was thinking of Wash and how long he's been in baseball and how much he cares going out there every day, hot days, going through the same drills every day. Plus, on the other side, you know, there'll be another part of the clubhouse. You're going to have Freddie Freeman there, too. Yeah, it's great, Buster. You know, when I was on the beat covering the Orioles, Ron Washington was the shorts, there was the backup shortstop of that team to Cal Ripken. People always forget this, that when Ripken's consecutive inning streak ended, it was ended when Ron Washington played shortstop in the bottom of the eighth inning that night in Toronto when they got beat, you know, 16, 100 to four or whatever it was. Um, and Washington's as good an infield instructor as there is. And how many times, Buster, have we been to a game and there's Wash with all those infielders one at a time on their knees catching ground balls because that's what he teaches and he's really good at it. Yeah, it, it uh, is a bunch of fun. On the other hand, uh, we always uh, – this focus seems to be this time of year when they name the all-star teams on the snubs. And for me, Tim, it's easy. Wander Franco. Like, I, I'm shocked that he's not on the all-star team. I was looking at the wins above replacement on fan graphs today. He's tied for fourth in the big leagues, Tim, with Mookie Betts, among all position players. That is shocking to me. And maybe, you know, what happened recently had something to do with it, where he was essentially benched for two days by the Rays, trying to send him a message about how he conducts himself. Yeah, I, he is the number one guy on my list also. I, I actually said, well, this must be a mistake. The, the, the Rays have to have more than three guys, and Juan Franco has to be on that list. And, look, I'm, I'm totally for benching a guy who's not hustling. You have to send that message. But that shouldn't keep you off the all-star team because there are a lot of guys in baseball who don't run hard at first all the time, and they're going to the all-star game. He should be going. The numbers are staggering, and he's doing them as a shortstop. He's the best player on the best player, best team in the American League. He should be going. All right. Uh, I want to see if you agree with me that this home run derby field uh, could be one of the best we've ever seen. Now, you know, it was cool of Pete Alonso to save that announcement for us on live television last night that he's going to be in the derby. The field we already have is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who went against Pete in the derby in 2019. Those two guys put on an amazing show. Uh, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, um, Randy Rosarena, you know, we're still waiting to hear uh, who else could be out there. Carl Ravitch talked about Ellie De La Cruz, you know, being a great guy for this event because he's so exciting to watch. What do you think of the field so far, and who would you like to see? Well, I'm going with Ravi. I, I would love to see Ellie De La Cruz. I saw the Reds the other day, Buster, in Baltimore, so I – saw him i stood next to him he's legitimately a foot taller than me which isn't saying much but uh, he hit some balls in batting practice that were just ridiculous so i hope that he is in the home run derby because this is what baseball needs to do is to sell its players and to get that guy uh, out on at the all-star game would do wonders for the sport i just think that after 
you know, every round of home runs that he hits, he should run from home, from home to home. And so everyone could see how fast he runs. The Reds guys, I said to a few of them, he, he might be the fastest guy in the league. And I got a couple of weird looks. They said, might be. He is the fastest player in the game. And we want him in the home run derby. That kind of speaks to the talent of that young kid. So I remember the first time I talked to Pete Alonso in 2019 about doing the Derby. And he said to me, I will do this every time they ask me, I will do take every chance to do this. And of course a player says that, you know, and is a rookie and you're like, yeah, okay, well, eventually there'll be a handler that'll get to him. The PR person will get to him. Somebody will get to him and, and, uh, you know, mentioned to him, hey, you don't want to look bad. And then I think about last year when his disappointment, when he lost, was palpable. I mean, he was devastated that he lost. And I just love the fact, Tim, that he's just he's backing up what he said. He still looks at it like at a 10, 11 year old saying, man, this is really fun. Right. That's why I've said he's the best derby guy ever. Because ever. He loves it so much. He won two years in a row. He nearly won last year. But it's the look on his face that tells you that he's the best home run derby guy ever because he loves it so much. I remember maybe last year, year before, you know, Ravi and Eddie in interviewed him like during the derby. You might have been a part of this, too. And he had no idea what they were talking about because he was still in a trance. He was in that zone of I got to hit home runs. I got to hit home runs. He wasn't even paying attention to what they were talking about. It was like he was in the ninth inning of a World Series game and he had to be focused on the job ahead. That's how much he loves it. And I love that he chose Sunday night baseball last night to make that announcement. Yeah, he's as big a power hitter as there is in the game. And I just think of how often we've thought in the past in the NBA, boy, you wish Michael Jordan would do the, the slam dunk contest more than one year because he would elevate the event. You wish LeBron James did the derby, you know, something that Mookie Betts has made reference to. I love the fact that the guy who might hit the ball as well as anybody in terms of being a power hitter loves doing the event. So hats off to Pete Alonso. Yes. Agreed. Oh, absolutely. And and then after he makes the announcement and after he makes the all-star team, he hits a laser shot in the left center field to end his terrible streak without homers and swinging the bat poorly. So maybe he's all already out of it now. So, Tim, I walked away after they won the series, their first series win in a month, thinking that the reports of the Met demise might be premature. I look, I mean, anybody with a brain, would not bet on them making the postseason, given the mathematics that are in front of them. But I also don't rule out the possibility they could go on a bit of a run here and make this interesting going to the deadline because it felt like the last few times through the rotation, clearly Scherzer has found something. Clearly Verlander has found something, adjusting the, you know, the release point on his delivery, uh, making that four-seam fastball better. Alonso, maybe that home run takes the pressure off him. Maybe McNeil getting some opposite field hits over the weekend. That gets him going. They got a lot of good players, Tim. They, they do, and that's what has been so confounding about all this. How could they be this bad? And the answer is they can't be this bad, which means I'm with you. I think they're in for a pretty nice run 
ahead. Again, I don't see them making the playoffs now because they built, they dug such a giant hole, but uh, it's only a matter of time before those guys start going. When you watch the game last night, Buster, and I was there for Friday and Saturday also, some things started to turn. You know, Lonzo hit a ball down the right field line for a double over. You know, that's not a Pete Alonzo hit. A couple of balls fell in. Giants did some sloppy things, which was very unlike them. So you start to see, all right, all this terrible stuff that has happened against the Mets. Now good things seem to be happening. It's only two games. But I think they have a chance to, to get hot here. The only concern is their bullpen is just not what it should be. No. With so many other teams that have great overpowering bullpens, the Mets don't, and that's a problem. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it. You could almost feel the bullpen pitching the Giants back into that game last night to the degree. And, look, I, I totally agree with Steve Cohen with what he said, uh, you know, said last week. He's not going to go out and spend a bunch of resources to prop up the team right now but i would say this i think if you're billy epler you are making calls all over the place trying to get you know at least some second tier third tier relievers to prop up that middle because that is a mess to him right and again buster we, we've learned this for years now you win down the stretch you win in october with a deep versatile bullpen and they don't have one they had one last year and to me that's the biggest difference between the two teams you know they, they went seven and eight buster in the month of june when leading in the sixth inning or later they lost eight games in one month that they led from the sixth inning on they lost nine of those games all last year, they lost eight of those games in June. That has to be corrected. And as you know, there will be bullpen arms available at the trade deadline. Well, and you could go get to me. You know, Billy could go and make those calls today, maybe pick up a couple guys, uh, you know, during the deadline, take a run at it. If you don't make progress, then you can just flip those guys back out in the marketplace by, when you get to August 1st. Um, so I, I think you could – prop up the, the part of the team that needs to be propped up. And, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see what he does there. Uh, the weekend was fun because it was the first time for me that I got to see Patrick Bailey in person, catcher for the Giants. And that was an eye-opener, Tim. What'd you think? Yeah, Buster, as you know, since he joined the club on May the 20th, he leads the team in hits. He leads the team in RBIs, and he's tied for the team lead in home runs. This is a kid that hit 225 last year at A-ball, and I was told he was kind of a low-energy guy at A-ball, and that, that worried a few people. He gets to the big leagues, and he's basically been their best player. They have been revitalized by a rookie catcher who was the number one pick for them a couple of years ago. Buster, that ball he hit Friday night, uh, left-handed, of course he's a switch hitter, was so impressive, and we talked about this, but he threw out Marte that night, um, and his pop time to second was one 1.71, according to the Mets. So Buck Showalter and Glenn Sherlock told me, the catching instructor, they'd never seen a 171 ever. That's how good that kid is throwing. He's really good behind the plate. I know a couple of their pitchers, Alex Cobb included, used to use PitchCom. And then they said, I don't want to use this anymore. I don't want to call my own game. This kid knows what he's doing. And that's what Gabe Kapler told us. Meeting on the mound, all this stuff's going on. What are we going to do? And Gabe Kapler said, just look at Pat. He knows what to do behind the plate, which is very rare for a young catcher to be that good. Power from both sides, really impressive. 
And you and I know that there have been a lot of catchers who have been converted to that position when they were teenagers or in the early, you know, 20s after they were drafted. You know, Buster Posey was converted to catcher when he was in last year at Florida State, for example, and they've been terrific. You know, Jorge Posada had a similar trajectory. In talking with him yesterday, he started catching when he was 10 years old, and I asked him if he played any other position. He goes, yeah, I played a little shortstop. And I, he said, I wasn't very good. And I said, why? He said, because I'm not very fast. I'm not a very good athlete. And yeah. he was kind of making fun of himself. So he's been catching a long time, and he seems to have that sort of feel to it. I also love the story about how he became a switch hitter. When he was 11 years old, Tim, uh, his coach, whose name was Houston Summers, told him that the fastest way to the big leagues, the two fast way to the big leagues are to be a left-handed pitcher or a switch hitting catcher. And I, and I like heard that. And I was like, so he was telling you about how to get to the big leagues when you were 11. And he goes, yeah. And I was thinking to myself, Tim, that's not something that a little league coach said to me or to you about paths to the major leagues when we were 11 years old. Right. But of course they saw something when he was 11 and I look the JT real Muto story caught a game in high school because in an emergency, that's how he became a catcher having never caught before. But I love the stories of kids who've caught their entire lives. Brad Osmus caught his entire life, caught when he was eight years old, caught when he was 38. I love that. I love guys who make up their minds early to be switch hitters. I have a hundred stories. Eddie Murray was a switch hitter at double A. He just, his manager just said, why don't you hit left-handed tonight? And he got two hits in a game. But when you're a switch hitter at 11 and you're a catcher at 10, uh, that really shows that you, this was the direction you always wanted to get to. And again, he is a really impressive kid uh, in every way. I love those switch hitter stories too. I had a conversation with Eddie Murray about that, how he became a switch hitter. And he talked about growing up with his brothers, playing all these games in the backyard, including hitting Crisco top can, the tops of Crisco cans, spinning those, and then hitting, learning how to hit them left-handed and right-handed. So when his coach suggested that, when he's minor league, sure, no problem. He's been hitting left-handed his whole life, right? And that's how Tony Clark became a switch hitter. He told me he was so much bigger and so much better than all of his friends that they wouldn't let him hit right-handed because he just hit too many home runs. They said, you have to bat left-handed. And that's how he became a switch hitter. Speaking of switch hitters, we have breaking news. Uh, Taylor, can you freestyle some breaking news sound? (laughs) A switch hitter, you know, Tim, has announced. By the way, that was a terrible freestyle. Tim, <laughs> you, you agree with me? That was yeah, awful. That, Taylor, that was awful. But uh, I, I wouldn't have done any better. So <laughs> <laughs> We got news that a switch hitter has announced he's going to participate in the Home Run Derby. Adley Rutschman. What do you think, Tim? Well, I love it. The more we see of that kid, the better. He belongs at the All-Star Game in some form or another. Uh, Again, this is what baseball needs to recognize, that the faces of the game, a lot of them are so young now. This is the next wave, and Rutschman's right in the middle of it. And I love that he's a switch hitter, so if he gets tired hitting from his best side left-handed, he can always turn around and hit right-handed. Maybe that would help him, keep him a little fresher. Um, It's great news, great news to get him at the All-Star game. You got any guesses to how he's going to handle that? Because I remember when Lance Berkman – uh, won the home run derby, uh, you know, at the switch hitter. 
he actually surprised all of us by batting right-handed. And, you know, um, batting right hand and driving the ball in the Crawford boxes in Houston, just peppering that place. Right. And by the way, Lance Berkman, natural left-handed hitter. So right-handed was the weak side. He told me after he retired, if I could do it again, I would not have been a switch hitter because he said being a natural left-handed hitter and I'm getting fewer reps hitting right-handed, it really hurt my right-handed swing. I wasn't nearly as good right-handed as left-handed. If I could do it again, I would have just hit left-handed. And you're right. One reason he won the home run derby is he was hitting right-handed and just had a completely different swing right-handed and set up right-handed than he did left-handed, unlike Chipper Jones, who looked exactly the same from the left side and the right side, and his numbers were really close also. Yeah, going to have to dig into that uh, later today and find out what uh, what his plans are uh, as we get ready for Derby. Derby field looks great. Uh, I'm, I'm so fired up. All right, Tim, thanks for doing this. Great to talk with you. All right, Buster, thanks. This is the Numbers Game with Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how you doing on this Monday? I'm doing great, Buster. We have like this quasi-holiday, which means two day games on weekdays, so I'm thrilled. <laughs> I don't even know what a holiday is during the season, but <laughs> right, enough, I guess, Sarah. I, I guess <laughs> Tuesday is actually a holiday, and it's a holiday any day when Pete Alonso announces on live television that he's going to be in the Home Run Derby. I love the field that's coming together. Um, you know, we got Pete and we've got, uh, you know, Julio Rodriguez who put on such a show last year. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. looking for a turn bout with Pete, maybe. Uh, you got Mookie Betts, you know, Rosarena uh, being in the Derby. And we still have three spots open. I'm guessing we'll get some announcements here maybe today, maybe tomorrow. I know by the time we do our show on Wednesday, but give me name is someone you would love to see in the Home Run Derby. So we did a story about this on MLB.com uh, last week. We've done it a few years in a row. We pick kind of a draft style of who we want to do it for the first time. So the only requirement is that they've never done it before. I was not on my computer, was not during games. And I get this email from Andrew Simon, one of my uh, bosses and editors, I clicked that Google Doc so quickly to be able to get Ellie Delacruz before anybody else because <laughs> on pure tools and everything we've seen from him so far, he feels like the obvious choice of someone everyone would love to see in that derby. And I love that you don't have to be an all-star. He's had a great start, but, you know, he's only played a handful of games. But he is such a derby guy. His first grown run was the second hardest first grown run we've seen under Sackhouse. And I'm staring to Sackhouse data right now across AAA and the majors. He has nine bad balls and at least 150 miles an hour across his time in AAA and in the majors so far. We know he crushes the ball. And this is the guy who, you know, after, I don't know, 10 games in the majors, declared himself the fastest man alive. You know he has the intangibles that would make the Derby so much fun. Oh, you're not kidding about that. I mean, he would he would put on a show. And I'm also wondering, I mean, we'll wait and see what they do. Uh, I got to believe that one way or another, maybe Joey Votto appears there. 
you know, when we're putting on our producer hat and we've been sort of Eduardo and I've been kicking around ideas about maybe when, for example, Vlad Jr. is up at the plate, we put a microphone and airpiece on Bo Bichette, you know, when he's out there coaching him with a Gatorade. Uh, and we thought, you know, if we do that with, with Joey Votto, if Ellie De La Cruz wound up getting invited. All right, Sarah, let's play the numbers game. Number three. Number three is 25. So speaking of the Reds and the young guys on the Reds, Andrew Abbott continues to have a really outstanding start to his career. He was in 097 ERA before he allowed that home run at the end of his outing yesterday. But even still, I think it's 121 through six stars. He's been outstanding. And yesterday, Against the Padres, he got 25 swings and misses. That's tied for the third most by any rookie in the game in the pitch tracking era, which goes back to 2008, behind only a game by Tyler Molly and one by Domingo Herman, each at 26. Number two. Number two is 10. So we got our all-stars yesterday, the reserves, the pitchers, everybody. And the number that stood out to me first and foremost was Clayton Kershaw. He is now an all-star for the 10th time. That ties Pee Wee Reese for the most in Dodgers history. But there's even more history for him. So 10th season on an all-star roster. That ties Steve Colton, Randy Johnson, and Tom Glavin for fifth most among pitchers. Find only Warren Spahn, 14, Mariano Rivera with 13, Tom Sieber with 12, and Roger Clemens with 11. We used to talk all the time. I mean, back in 2015-16. If Kershaw retired today, is he a Hall of Famer? At this point, we obviously know he is, but I feel like we've almost lost sight of how outstanding he has been. So for him to be on a list with Carlton and Brandy Johnson, Tom Glevin, Warren Spahn, I mean, it's just absolutely outstanding to me. So I love that stat. Number one. Number one is eight. So the other thing that stands up immediately looking at the all-star rosters, there are eight Atlanta Braves there. That is their most in a season in franchise history. And we know this is a team that has some really, really good years. Prior most was seven. There have only been six teams in Major League history. All-Star games started in 1933 to have more All-Stars in a single season. They were all AL teams. Bunch of Yankees teams and one White Sox team. So eight All-Stars are tied from the most by any NL team with the 08 Cubs, 1960 Pirates, 1956 Reds, and 1943 Cardinals. So in the expansion era, it's just these Braves and those Cubs back in 2008. And the other thing about that list, six of those are position players. There have only been two teams to have more position players make an all-star team in a single season, the 1976 Reds and the 1939 Yankees, who each had seven. And the last team to even have six was the 08 Red Sox, 
Before the OA Red Sox, it was the 1978 Red Sox. So you do not see teams do this very often. Really, really impressive. Yeah, pretty pretty incredible. I'm going to get a bonus number from you, but I'm going to flip the tables because I'm going to steal the information from you and then give you a question. Uh, the Atlanta Braves, you and I have been texting back and forth every time they score in the first inning. They're now up to 87 runs in the first inning before an all-star break. And when you really think about that, how wildly improbable that is. Okay, the record is 100 uh, by the 1950 Red Sox uh, for first inning runs before the All-Star break. Do you, Sarah Langs, believe that the Braves will get that record by the time we get to the All-Star break? I think so. I mean, they've had so many games lately with multiple runs. I felt badly. What was that? Saturday, I texted you. They entered the day with 81. They got to 82. So I texted you just 82. And then they scored again. And I'm like 83. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he is busy. And I'm texting him all of these two-digit numbers with no context. I knew you knew what they meant. But even so, I think they absolutely will. Just because this offense is relentless. They didn't score in the first inning on Sunday, despite having runners on. And I was almost surprised to see it. But even if they don't get to that record, it's incredible what they're doing. But that's what happens when you have a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. having a historic season and hitting leadoff. I mean, that's just that starts all of this. Yeah, so I now I get numbers out of the blue from both you and my son jake who texts me every time because we had a bet before the season began who's going to win the national league mvp and i said acuna is going to win it he said matt olson so every time matt olson hits a home run all of a sudden a number drops in on my text message it might be 23 or 24 <laughs> and so for you it's now all first inning run that atlanta's been scoring before you go uh you're going to be yankee stadium tomorrow yes Yes, uh, they're honoring me and some other young women with ALS for their Hope Week, which is an amazing endeavor. And of course, on the anniversary of Lou Gehrig's speech, the famous speech came on July 4th. So really, really excited. Going to be a very emotional day, but so honored and so grateful to the Yankees. All right. We'll, uh, we'll be watching, Sarah. I'm uh, aiming to have one of the members of the Yankees organization, the podcast on Wednesday, and I'll tell you how that goes. All right. Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, Vassar. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. The clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems, with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. 
Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. On Sunday, Book Shambi spoke with J.D. Davis of the San Francisco Giants. Here with the Giants, J.D. Davis and a former Met. We'll get to that in a second, but let's talk about how well this team has been playing. You go back to like June 10th, you guys lost the fall to 500, and you played really well since then. What's been the secret? Oh, man. Um, I think just the tenacity with this team, the willingness to not give up. Um, there's been so many times, and you guys probably can see it, that there, we've been no hit through three, four, five, six innings. Um, and I don't know, it's just something about this team where we're okay to get punched in the face, but we're waiting for our opportunity and we know that our opportunities are going to come and we're going to capitalize on that. And I think a lot of our success has to do with some of our young guys that come up. And I think it speaks loudly about how the culture is here in San Francisco, um, about how these young guys step in and don't blink. Uh, we see Matos playing a elite caliber out in center field, Pat Bailey taking over the reins behind the dish, uh, you know, squaring up barrels left and right, throwing guys out. We've got Casey Schmidt with gold glove, gold glove potential and just him coming through and getting some experience and getting a lot of knocks. Bryce Johnson and himself, I mean, you can go up and down this lineup how many young guys have contributed, but I think it's been a nice blend of guys of, uh, you know, coming up in the clutch, um, having accountability. A lot of guys uh, have the aptitude to make the adjustments throughout, you know, from pitch to pitch or inning to inning or, heck, even game to game, and I think that's been light years for us. And on top of that, our pitching has been tremendous over the last month. Coming back here, a place where you really got your first big break. You were in Houston for a couple of years, but looking for playing time. You came here, you got playing time, you hit over 20 home runs. What's it like coming back here? What do you remember about 2019 and that sort of breakout for you? Yeah, um, I think just how the clubhouse was. I think that was a big, big thing in 2019 that really sparked us um, of how close we were as a group and how we would go out to dinner and hang out with each other constantly. Um, and then kind of, um, kind of care carried over into the games or carried over into into on the field stuff where guys were um, willing to do anything and anything they can to win the games. Um, and then, you know, 2019, it kind of just uh, blew away in the wind in a sense. So, you know, we had that unfortunate year of COVID, 2020 year, and then um, going from, you know, GM to GM, uh, head manager to manager, uh, firing of hitting coaches, um, and then really just not getting it back in the footing of things. And then, again, uh tearing a ligament in my hand and really just couldn't uh, get things going. And so I was fortunate enough to get the opportunity over here in the Giants um, and just learn from my, uh, you know, failures and successes over here in New York and just to uh, be grateful and apply to them. Last thing, just uh, when you look at metrics, we'll get our nerd on for a second, but when they bring up your name, they talk about exit velocity, hitting the ball hard. When's the first time you realized there was something you did well? When's the first time you remember hearing about it as it applied to you? Yeah, I'd say probably in double A in 2016 and 17. That was when Jeff Albert was still our hitting coordinator over there with uh, Houston, um, and then he turned into the hitting coach. I didn't really much know about exit velo or anything like that in that regard, but he, I remember sitting down with him back in Corpus Christi and him pulling up a uh, computer uh, info and just showing me how the potential or how much uh, barrel percentage that I was getting um, and how I can magnify that and get better and that was one of the areas where I can be elite up here in this game and that's one thing I just needed to improve on um, and so kind of going about that in 
2017 and 18 and 19, I had a really big uh, swing and miss rate. Um, and still to this day, I still do. But I think it just has to do with how good these pitchers are nowadays. And so kind of going off that note of going into this last offseason, working with JV, the hitting coach um, with the Giants, of trying to be simplify things, not necessarily hitting you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 home runs where everybody wants to see, but um, just trying to be that 280, that solid hitter to get on base, uh, hit for average, and the power's still there. If I want to do a leg kick, I still have the ability to hit the ball out of the field, but at the same time, I think what's best for uh, for me and for this team is to, for me to have professional at-bats, work the count, get on base, and pass the baton, um, and I think that speaks louder of like kind of where this trend is going, where, where baseball, where I think just like, I mean, the last two, three years, there were so many home runs, so many strikeouts, where um, I think I needed to take a step back and not really focus so much on exit velo but keep that barrel percentage but maybe hit a little bit more line drives good stuff good to see you continued success hey no problem thank you bleacher tweets all righty buster bleacher tweets for a monday lee patrick sullivan at the lps beat writes in tigers are still in striking distance of the central division dumpster fire their two <laughs> best pitchers return this week best hitter soon after should they take advantage of the dumpster fire and become buyers or pull a baltimore and not try <laughs> no I, I look i think they should get their pitchers back and then see how they do uh after they you know for for two or three weeks and if they actually do climb back into it yeah then you still have 10 12 days to make your team better um, but remember, Baltimore made its decision to do nothing at last year's trade deadline right at the deadline. You know, it was in the last, what, 72 hours when they, uh, you know, they dealt a couple of their veterans and didn't add anything. So a different circumstance at the moment. But, yeah, I think given where the Tigers have been in recent years, they haven't made the playoffs in a while. I think if they actually have a shot, you got to take it. Yeah. And I feel like they've been in that weird middle ground, too, for a while now. No, they haven't been in the middle ground at all. They've just been bad. Yeah, yeah, they've been bad. I feel like they've been trying. Like I feel like it hasn't been like the active tank, you know. Like they're no, just, they're I just agree. bad. <laughs> Last year they picked up like Austin Meadow. They signed Javi Baez. Yeah, they sent Eduardo Rodriguez. They they've actually, um, you know, in a measured American League Central type of way, they've actually been trying. Yeah, they should go for it. Uh, Debbie Gammons Brown, DGB writes in. Sorry if you hear a vibrating behind me. There are trucks in my front yard. Uh, she writes in, we see some hitters, some no hitters every season, the very occasional perfect game, but how likely is it that we'll see more 20 strikeout games? Yeah, for the record, uh, here at the Minneapolis airport on a baggage claim Monday, I don't hear anything in your background, ah, believe super. me. Here, kids, do you have the gear, the kids screaming behind me? No, I can't. That's good. That's good. Okay, yeah, he's not happy about the... Tr- really? You can't oh, I hear, hear him now. Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, we're, I, I don't think we'll ever see a 20 strikeout game because I don't think pitchers throw enough pitches to do it and I don't mean that as a criticism it's just culturally within the sport man that kid is unhappy uh I think culturally (laughs) within the sport uh they just they don't let guys go that long wow he he just hates the podcast clearly doesn't like listening to talk about the NL or the AL Central you could have gone a couple places with that Taylor (laughs) you could have said he hates the podcast or he could have said like it's a Padres fan or maybe it's a frustrated Mets fan or I something just, like that. Come on. You cut me off. I, I was about to make an AL Central joke. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry about that. That'll fit. 
Uh, last one for today. Cedo Samuel, a.k.a. Big Cedo, writes in, has there been anything like this Juan Soto situation traded the farm to get him to have a leg up in negotiations for title runs, and a year later you have to be considered shopping him, don't you? No way 100%. he signs long-term in San Diego. 100%. You, you put him out in the market. doesn't mean you actually trade him, but you put him out in the market, see what kind of value you could potentially get. You talk a, about a game-changing bat, and let me tell you one team that would be very interesting with that regard, the Yankees. Ooh. You drop Juan Soto in the middle of their lineup, left-handed hitter in Yankee Stadium. I, I think you start to circle the, uh, you know, circle the sharks on that one. Ooh, I like it. I like it, Buster. Speak it into existence. Actually, I don't want you to speak that one into existence. That would, that would go poorly for the Orioles. I'm sure of it. All right, <laughs> that is it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter while you're watching games. Enjoy the holiday, everyone. Happy Fourth of July. Before we go, uh, I just want to say out loud that last Friday was absolutely brutal uh, with great people who worked with getting bad news. Uh, we know all of them, but I want to talk about June Lee because he's uh, someone who has been in our baseball group, someone who I met many years ago, someone with a lot of passion, a lot of imagination. He's a rising star. He was just in the podcast last week, and I know this. He's going to do amazing stories in the years ahead, and I can't wait to read him and listen to him and watch him. That's it for today. My thanks to Sarah, Tim, Sarah Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.